0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the September 30th edition of the Work Comp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folsen, an attorney with the Floyd Scarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So, let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled on a case between SEGA and the Travelers Insurance Company that upheld the endorsement on a traveler's insurance policy limiting its coverage for special employees in a general special employment situation. In the published case of Travelers v. WCAB and SEGA, two employers agreed that the general employer staff checks would obtain a workers' compensation insurance policy for employees at least to the special employer, Jesse Lord Bakery. The special employer obtained workers' compensation insurance from travelers for its own employees with a limiting endorsement, excluding coverage for special employees. These agreements were in place for several years when a special employee Jose Luis Moustache, was injured on the job. The general employer's insurance company, Ulico Casualty Company, became insolvent, and California Insurance Guarantee Association took over the claim. At Sega's request, the WCAB invalidated the traveler's limiting endorsement because the limiting endorsement had not been signed by the special employer. A written affirmation was required under WCAB rules at the time the traveler's policy was written. Thus, travelers, the insurer for the special employer, was ordered to bear all liability for compensation to the injured worker because the general employer's insurer became insolvent. SEGA is not required to pay benefits where there is other insurance applicable to the claim. Travelers appealed and the Court of Appeal reversed the WCAB in the unpublished case. The question of whether Travelers is other insurance relieving SEGA of liability turns on whether the endorsement in the Travelers policy was valid. The Court of Appeal made the observation that it was addressing a commercial relationship between two relatively sophisticated parties and a third sophisticated insurance company. The three embarked on a course of dealing that had been in place for a number of years before Mr. Mustache was injured. This entire structure was set aside by the appeals board, ostensibly over the absence of a signature by Jesse Lord on the endorsement to the contract with travelers, even though this contractual structure had been functioning for three years when Moustache was injured. The parties complied with the applicable regulatory requirements and it is undisputed that they complied with their contractual commitments to one another for several years. Thus, the Court of Appeal concluded that the WCAB decision was unreasonable and inequitable. The court said that nullifying a three-sided sophisticated contractual structure under which all three parties perform their obligations in good faith over the absence of a signature on an endorsement to a contract disregards reality and is inequitable. Avenir Pharmaceuticals, a manufacturer based in Aliso Viejo, California, has agreed to pay over $95 million to resolve Civil False Claims Act allegations of kickbacks, as well as its false and misleading marketing of its drug Nudexta to providers in long-term care facilities to induce them to prescribe it for behaviors commonly associated with dementia patients which is not an approved use of the drug. Prosecutors also announced indictments of four individuals, including the former Avenar employees and one of the top prescribers of nudexta in the country, who were involved in the kickback scheme. In addition to the $95 million being paid to resolve federal civil claims, Avenir will pay an additional $7 million to resolve state Medicaid claims. Nudexta is approved by the FDA for the treatment of pseudo-bulbar affect, PBA, which is characterized by involuntary, sudden, and frequent episodes of laughing or crying. Avenir admits that it paid the doctor to induce him to not only maintain but increase his prescription volume. The civil settlement resolves lawsuits filed by former employees of Avenir under the Key Tom or Whistleblower provisions of the False Claims Act. The whistleblowers, Kevin Maneri, will receive more than $12 million of the civil settlement and the other one, Dwayne Arnold and Mark Shipman, will receive more than $5 million. In our crime report, a Huntington Beach cardiologist with a long history of legal and disciplinary problems is one of the 25 people accused of participating in a Medicare fraud scheme that netted about $150 million. 74-year-old Nagesh Shetty was just indicted in connection with the scheme, which involved medically unnecessary cardiac treatments and testing. He worked through an Englewood health care provider, Global Cardio Care. Dr. Shetty was first licensed by the California Medical Board back in 1979, and he has operated practices in Costa Mesa, West Covina, and the West Hills neighborhood of Los Angeles. Back in 1994, Dr. Shetty was indicted in federal court on 28 counts of mail fraud, on allegations of defrauding a Minnesota-based insurance company through non-existent, medically n- unnecessary, or excessive medical treatment. That case was later transferred to a California district court and charges were eventually dropped. But two years later, in 1996, Dr. Shetty was sentenced to 20 months, 21 months in federal prison and fined $40,000, Filing false income tax returns, and failing to report more than $400,000 in income. At the time, Dr. Shetty was owner and attending physician of Harbor Newport Medical Clinic in Costa Mesa. Now, while in prison, Dr. Shetty was indicted in 1998 on federal charges alleging that he defrauded military and private health insurance programs. Then, in 2000, a jury convicted Dr. Shetty of 26 felony counts of mail fraud, and he was sentenced to two years in prison and three years supervised release. He also was ordered to pay restitution, including more than $28,000 to the U.S. Treasury and more than $19,000 to Blue Cross and Blue Shield. The California Medical Board then revoked his medical license in 2000. His license to practice medicine was also revoked in New York in 1999 and Washington State in 2001. Then in 2005, Dr. Shetty petitioned the California Board to reinstate his medical certificate. At the time, he was bagging groceries and stocking shelves at a store and said his inability to practice his profession has caused emotional and financial strain for his wife and four children. He was granted a probationary license with the conditions, and in 2009, he completed his probation, and the medical board reinstated his license. Then, in a disciplinary order, effective April 26, 2019, the board issued Dr. Shetty a public reprimand stemming from a case in which he was accused of repeated negligence and failure to maintain adequate and accurate records. And now he faces more criminal charges for his 2019 arrest this summer. A Riverside County man pleaded guilty to two federal drug trafficking charges, one of which involves the theft of at least nine doctors' DEA numbers and dates of birth. These were used to obtain oxycodone and other prescription medications that he later sold on the darknet. 29-year-old Christopher Lazenby of Riverside County pleaded guilty to possession with intent to distribute methamphetamine and oxycodone. He stole the identities of at least nine doctors and one physician's assistant, which allowed him to use the DEA online registration system. Using this system, he changed the addresses of eight doctors to mailboxes he had rented in South Los Angeles and in Carl's Carson. And Lazenby later changed the address of a ninth doctor to show his medical office was a room at a Motel 6 in Inglewood. He then forged the doctor's signatures on counterfeit prescriptions and ordered oxycodone, hydrocodone, and Adderall to be sent to addresses he controlled. After he received the narcotics, he used the dark web and Craigslist to advertise the drugs for sale. During searches of his hotel room and car at the time of his arrest, narcotics were seized, including 196 grams of methamphetamine and oxycodone pills. Lazenby will face a statutory maximum sentence of life in federal prison and a mandatory minimum sentence of 10 years in prison at a February 10, 2020 sentencing hearing. The genetic screening sales reps turn out at health fairs, houses of religion, parks, and elder enclaves. They are offering a chance to learn if the subject or their loved ones are at risk of developing cancer. All they need, according to the reps, is a free cheek swab. But federal investigators say some of the sales representatives are part of a growing industry that threatens to become what multiple government investigators call the next big frontier in healthcare fraud. Genetic testing is reaping millions of dollars from unnecessary tests that target senior citizens. Officials with the Office of the Inspector General for the Department of Health and Human Services said their office has seen a steady stream of complaints into genetic testing. In 2018, the Inspector General's office received about one or two complaints a week. Now, The fraud hotline burns with as many as 50 calls weekly. And investigations are going on in this space across the country, and it is not limited to one geographic region. In all, more than 300 federal investigations conducted by multiple law enforcement agencies are examining genetic testing fraud schemes. The investigative crush was sparked in part by unusual Medicare billing data patterns that started to emerge in 2015. In the United States' genetic testing has skyrocketed for Medicare, where payouts for genetic tests jumped from $480 million in 2015 to $1.1 billion in 2018. Those figures do not include invoices for spending by state Medicaid programs, which serve the poor or supplemental Medicare insurance programs offered by private insurers. In the cases under review, marketers get elderly residents to turn over their Medicare or Medicaid information, along with their driver's license and other identifying information and tell them they will take a free cheek swab that can help them understand their risks of developing cancer or whether their genetics could unlock clues about how they will respond to drug treatments. They then get a doctor to sign off and approve the test and ship the swab off to a lab which seeks Medicare payouts. But many of the lab tests are not relevant to the patient's history and... Some of the doctors sign off on the results without conferring with the patient. Investigators say suspect companies pocket thousands with a cut going to the doctors, but the seniors get little, if any, benefit. The Assistant Attorney General for the U.S. Department of Justice's Criminal Division called genetic testing of the elderly the next big frontier in federal health care fraud enforcement. It's a little explored world which surrounds the marketing companies, laboratories, and telemedicine companies involved in elder generic testing, genetic testing. Among them is Spectrum, and another is Clio Laboratories, the Georgia based lab that is part of the interconnected network of labs. In a handful of cases, the patients who had DNA samples sent to Clio or Spectrum said they never spoke with a doctor about why the cancer or pharmacogenic tests were medically necessary. Moreover, when test results were completed, they were mailed directly to patients' homes, which is not the norm. Usually, the ordering physician receives results first, then reviews them with the patient. Some of the doctors involved in the genetic testing have also checkered pasts. One of California doctors was signing off on genetic tests for patients even as two states had disciplined him or were preparing to do so after he was criminally convicted in Los Angeles. Orthopedic surgeon Dr. Mitchell G. Cohen pleaded guilty in 2015 to filing a false tax return in connection with an illegal kickback scheme. He cooperated with the government's investigation and later served more than eight months in a halfway house in Central California through March 2019. But Dr. Cohen was approving genetic tests for Medicare patients during his stint in the halfway house and after his probation period ended. He approved the medical necessity of genetic tests handled by the labs, including Bioconfirm in Georgia and Elite Medical Laboratories. He signed off on the genetic test for Elite in September 2018 as he was serving his sentence in the halfway house. 54 year old John Shoon of Huntington Beach. A former licensed public adjuster was sentenced to 180 days in county jail and five years of felony probation. He pleaded guilty to three felony counts of embezzlement and one felony count of forgery. Shun stole over $132,000 in claims proceeds for clients by forging signatures and guarantee stamps. Sean was already paid has already paid $12,000 in restitution and was ordered to pay an additional $52,311 as a condition of his probation. The California Insurance Commissioner said that this adjuster went to great lengths to defraud his clients. While acting as worldwide public adjusters, Shawn negotiated checks by forging the signature of at least one of his clients, and also forged endorsement guarantee stamps stamps on behalf of that client's mortgage company. In 2015, the California Department of Insurance revoked his licensing rights and privileges. However, Mr. Schoen continued to act as a public adjuster under the license of his wife, Andrea Schoen, who obtained her her license one month later. In 2016, his wife's public adjuster licensing rights were revoked. But Mr. Schoen continued to act as a public adjuster and on at least one occasion used the public adjuster's license number that belonged to a former colleague. Schoen lied to his clients about the status of their payments and wrote fraudulent checks with no intention of providing them with their funds. And in regulatory news, the U.S. Department of Labor's Office of Workers' Compensation Programs announced the implementation of new opioid controls to protect injured federal workers. The new controls aim to reduce the risk of long-term opioid use among injured federal workers receiving benefits under the Federal Employees' Compensation Act. The new controls impose a seven-day limit on the initial fill of an opioid prescription. The limit follows CDC guidelines and is consistent with restrictions now in place in states across the country. Day supply limits on initial opioid prescriptions have been a widely used strategy to reduce the chances of unintended chronic opioid use. A limit on additional opioid prescriptions, however, is Less common. The department has taken the additional step to limit the number of subsequent opioid prescriptions. The new policy allows filling three subsequent seven day opioid prescriptions for a maximum of 28 days, but requires prior departmental approval for any prescription beyond this period. To obtain the approval, the prescribing provider must complete a detailed evaluation of the injured worker and certify the medical need for additional opioids. The department's FECA medical benefits examiners will then review these evaluations. The department created the Opioid Action Plan, which centers on four areas, effective controls, tailored treatment, impactful communications, and aggressive fraud detection. The DWC Administrative Director ordered that the durable medical equipment, prosthetics, orthotics, supplies portion of the official medical fee schedule be adjusted to conform to changes to the Medicare payment system that were adopted by CMS in the October 2019 Quarter 4 DME POS fee schedule update. The changes are effective for services rendered on or after October 1, 2019. CMS has not made 2nd, 3rd, or 4th quarter updates to the 2019 Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition Fee Schedule, PEN file. Therefore, the Administrative Director order dated December 21, 2018 continues to be effective for Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition Fees. The Medicare October 2019 Fourth Quarter DME POS fee schedule revision is available on the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services DME POS fee schedule quarterly file webpage. The California Insurance Commissioner approved changes to the California Workers Compensation Uniform Statistical Reporting Plan. California Workers Compensation Experience Rating Plan and Miscellaneous Regulations for the Recording and Reporting of Data. These changes are effective January 1, 2020. The 2020 versions of these publications, along with the Advisory California Basic Underwriting Manual, are now available in the Filings and Plans section of the WCIRB website. The Classification Search tool on WCIRB.com has also been updated to reflect new and revised classifications effective January 1, 2020. Users can search classifications by keyword or classification code and view current classification phraseologies, footnotes, and related USRP rules. The classification search also provides the prior year's phraseology for comparison. You can enter a search term or classification code using the tool to begin your search. You can then narrow your search by choosing an industry group or related classifications from the Filter By pull-down menu. And in medical news, the potential for artificial intelligence in healthcare has caused some excitement. With the advocates saying it will ease the strain on resources, free up time for doctor-patient interactions, and even aid the development of tailored treatment. And studies continue to show that artificial intelligence is on a par with human experts when it comes to making medical diagnoses based on images. The use of AI in interpreting medical images is a field that relies on deep learning. This is a sophisticated form of machine learning in which a series of labeled images are fed into algorithms that pick out features within them and learn how to classify similar images. This approach has shown promise in the diagnosis of diseases from cancers to eye conditions. However, questions remain about how such deep learning systems measure up to human skills. Now, researchers say they have conducted the first comprehensive review of published studies on the issue and found humans and machines are on par. Researchers said the results were encouraging, but the study was a reality check for some of the hype about AI. The researchers focused on research papers published since 2012, which was a pivotal year for deep learning and an initial search turned up more than 20,000 relevant stage studies. However, only 14 of the studies reported good quality data from which the team pooled the most promising results from within each of the 14 studies. Deep learning systems cor- correctly detected a disease state 87% of the time compared with 86% for healthcare professionals and correctly gave the all-clear 93% of the time, compared with 91% for human experts. Such deep learning systems could act as a diagnostic tool and help tackle the backlog of scans and images. What's more, they could prove useful in places which lack experts to interpret images. And that is all of our news on our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Folds with Floyd Scarron, Manuki, and Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.